Hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Hour. You are listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Again, this is Art Hour. I am here today with a uh, different co-host. Those of you who listen regularly would recognize Mike Malsom, but he is not here. Interestingly enough, um, he is taking his, and I may be getting this wrong, so I apologize, Mike. He is taking his father-in-law uh, to uh, France, where they are going to visit uh, the beach at Normandy, uh, where uh, his father-in-law's brother uh, is buried. And so this is the first member of um, his wife's family who has visited that. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty interesting visit and a very patriotic visit. He died during World War II at Normandy. So uh, he will not be here this week or next. And then uh, we'll be taking some weeks off uh, during August, too, because I will be in jolly old England. Uh, and I don't know if Mike's willing to man the helm, but we'll see. But anyway, here we are, and my co-host is my daughter, Claire Woodard. Say hi, Claire. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for doing this. This is kind of fun. And because Claire is uh, studying theater, and she's been a theater kid since, I don't know, third grade, something <laughs> like that, uh, she loves the theater. So um, I said, who, if you're going to co-host with me, who do you want to get on? And uh, we got a few people who said, here are some ideas. But we landed on uh, somebody who's doing something really interesting right now. We'll let him tell you more about it. It's Henry McNulty. Hello. Well, hi, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. And Henry, you have, uh, I didn't mention this before, we were talking before, but you do have a radio voice, <laughs> definitely. Uh, much, much better than mine is, for I, sure. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have. Did you always have a voice like that? I mean, did you cultivate that being in, in music, uh, or did, was that something that you've just had sin, uh, for, since forever? I mean, it, it could have been unintentionally cultivated, but um, ever since I was pretty little, I think I've had a a little bit deeper than normal voice, and... Um, I think the first comment I remember getting was in fourth grade or so. And it wasn't where it is now, obviously. But <laughs> that would must, be weird. <laughs> there was a certain way that I spoke that I guess um, people thought that even then. Okay, so you didn't, this was not uh, voice coaching or anything to get that deep, resonant tone. That's just no. something that you've had. Well, and lucky you. As a theater person, can I just say your diction is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank now, you. did they talk about that too in fourth grade? No, they didn't bring that up. Oh, at the no, time, no, no. Just, just the deep voice. I can hear every consonant perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something being in theater, Claire, uh, that they, they hammer, right? Yes, yes, definitely. That is definitely one of the things that is brought up time and time again because understanding a person without microphones or help uh, or repeating, especially, is very important. And as a you theater mean important? person, important. Important. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I'm an inch away from a microphone, it's not quite as vital, but when you're in a theater that seats a hundred to a thousand people, every single person, even the person in the very top corner at the balcony needs to understand you, so it is a very important thing, and you have it. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Thank you. So to start off, uh, Henry, just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, um, how you got to where you are right now. Sure. Well, um, I was educated in music, and... Um, have been involved in theater for many, many years. I got my start at Civic Theater, where I now work as well. So my job there is as music director for the organization, meaning that I, I'm in charge of um, all of the musical aspects over the course of the season and uh, 
often now in the, in the summer as well, uh, now that we've begun summer programming. Um, and so really that's kind of been my, my home base for decades now, I guess, starting as a, as a little kid, I think playing a, a goose in a, uh, <laughs> a little play down in the studio theater mm. um, and a farmer. And I, th I think I made my own uh, beard out of cotton balls, that sort of thing. So I got started early. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, I got started with that too. Yeah. I made a beard out of paper for one of my characters at a <laughs> civic show. So, <laughs> Well, you know, at that age, uh, you know, nobody can grow their own anyway. So you're stuck, <laughs> you're stuck with cotton at best. Yeah. So right now you're working on the first summer show at Civic in a long time, right? That's right. I believe it's the first in 19 years. Wow. Now, why don't you typically do summer shows? Um, well, I, I wasn't around enough 19 years ago to know why we, <laughs> why we changed gears, but my understanding has always been that there's been a you know, belief that so many people in, in the area will you know, be wanting to go out to the lake instead and, and be wanting to do other things. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that, um, but it also is a, you know, a time of year that we haven't really taken advantage of in almost two decades. And um, it's nice to be able to put some new, different programming out that maybe wouldn't fit within our normal season. So now, we're taking that as an opportunity. In what way wouldn't it fit in your normal season? Well, what we're doing right now is, um, is the musical Spring Awakening. Um, we're doing just three weekends of it, uh, three performances each weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday matinee. Um, and um, Civic has, has long um, had, you know, we, we have a very wide audience base, and that means catering to a lot of different tastes. And often that means being a little bit conservative with our choices. And especially during the, the main season, um, we, we try to do that. We try to cater to families and people of all interests, um, with often the studio theater filling that role of, um, you know, more um, progressive material, things with, um, you know, with more challenging themes that, that won't be appropriate to all audiences. So one thing that the summer has allowed us to do is to uh, put something like that on the main stage. Uh, since it's you know our first show there in a long, long time, uh, there isn't really an expectation of what it's going to be like, how it's going to sell. We don't have the same pressures that we might normally. So we got to choose something that is a little more, a uh, little more contemporary, a little um, racier subject matter, you might say. Um, you know, with song titles I can't say on the radio, for <laughs> instance, but. Um, and uh, doing it in a, in a limited run. And I, I think that's, it, it, it will be a good experiment for us and a good experiment for the community. Mm -hmm. And how has it been going so far? It's gone well so far. The, the reception seems very good. Um, I, I think we'd, we'd love to see even fuller houses for it. But um, as, we, as we always think at, at Civic, the, for our main stage being the, the largest uh, local theater venue, um, obviously with the exception of um, what I still think of as, as the INB. What's the new one? First, <laughs> First Interstate what is it? Center for know. the First Arts? First Interstate like Center for the Arts, I okay. think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, obviously I they, still call it the Opera House. I, that's, that was the first thing that came to my mind, too. But I knew that wasn't it. I had to go for the in-between. 
Um, obviously, they have the biggest house in the area, which is why they can accommodate the Broadway tours. But as far as local productions go, we have the the biggest place that's dedicated to theater. Um, and so, you know, if if we fill the house, great. If we um, have a, a partial house, that's often okay too. Because if you think about, you know, the size of our theater relative to others, we're we're still getting a, a lot of people in. Um, and Spring Awakening, I think, is a little bit more of a niche audience. Um, we would we would love to see it reach as many people as possible, but uh, it's very important for for its cult following in well, particular. What is come. that niche? Well, I mean, if it's a niche audience, how would you describe the type of people uh, who would like this? What What are some other things that they might like oh, that gosh. would? Uh, <laughs> the, it's it's a very niche because it's so specific. It is because it, is. it it's based in it's based way in the past, but the music is extremely contemporary, and it's almost a rock operatic musical but it's also based in 1800s Germany. So it's mm-hmm. so, I, you've spent a lot more time with it, obviously. So I think you would better explain it, but I don't know exactly what other shows would go along with that. Um, it, in many ways, it is a unique piece. I think that as, as far as the, um, the group that it appeals to it, um, every generation ends up having their, you know, go-to show that they discover particularly as, as teenagers or young adults. And I think for uh, people who are now maybe young 20-somethings, uh, Spring Awakening was that for them in mm. many cases. Um, so if, if you look at it that way, I think that in the same category I'd put uh, Rent, maybe now... Um, Heathers, possibly? Heathers, possibly. Um, it, I think that's maybe just a little more commercial, just in mm-hmm. that, you know, there definitely, was a movie. Definitely, definitely. Um, what was the other one that was coming to my mind? I'm sure I'll think of it well <laughs> after this conversation. <laughs> chime in mid-sentence somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, sure, do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about somebody who doesn't typically go to the theater? I mean, is this, is this a good kind of a, a gateway show? And if so, in what way? I think it depends on your, on your tastes, really. I think um, if you're interested say in um in dramas in in movies um this this could work well for you um if you're interested in um you know hearing that kind of combination of music genres of hearing like a a string quartet mixed with punk rock that Mm. kind of thing so I, i think it would be very interesting for music lovers uh even aside from any of the content of the show um it's not going to be, say, the same crowd that is going to come to Matilda this fall. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a very different, very different piece, yes. um, which I, I think is good. It's good to have uh, things over the course of the season that can appeal to everyone. Not everyone has to come to every show, but there should be something that anyone in the community might be able to relate to. And for some people, that will be Spring Awakening. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned the music and its string quartet and its punk rock. Your background is in music, correct? Yes. Uh, you yeah. went to Eastern and you got a degree in, what was it, music composition? Yes, it was a Bachelor's of Music in music composition. Are you still doing stuff like that? Are you still doing composition? Because now you're a music director, so right. you're kind of doing <laughs> other people's music. So are you doing your own stuff still, too? I, I am still writing. I, I mean, I've got, I've got things in the works, as all, all we writers say. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and hopefully I'll, I'll get something 
out there in public within you know the next year or so. Um, but so much of my time in the last few years has been in building up what I do at Spokane Civic Theater and, it, and turning music director into a full-time position there where it really didn't exist before. Hmm. Um, so that's been, you know, that's been my focus for a while. So how long have you been the music director there? Um, in my current position, um, I think since mid-2017, so uh, it roughly, roughly two years. And what was your position before that? I was kind of a, um, an independent contractor doing you know, musicals in different places. I was uh, performing with Coeur d'Alene Summer Theater and doing the, the occasional music direction for Civic, uh, but not in a, you know, in a staff capacity. So this is a bit of a chicken or the egg question. I, I'm assuming music came first for you, but how did you transfer that into theatrical music? Well, I, I think... I think arguably theater came first. If you count, okay. if you count, you know, my my parents uh, putting me into you know theater camps as a little kid, um, which pr- probably you should, because everyone gets <laughs> started with something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was really my first exposure to the mix of things that I now do. Um, then I'd say when I was in fifth grade is really when I discovered music. Uh, as an interest and began to um, teach myself piano on a, on a little keyboard and at the, the old upright, uh, upright at, my, um, at my grandfather's ranch house um, out in Sedonia, Washington. Um, old and out of tune and um, probably horrible to listen to to anyone but me, <laughs> but uh, I was enamored and... Um, you know, was writing little things even then, uh, perhaps because I didn't know how to play the piano. <laughs> so my options were limited to what I could make up at the time, and um, that probably set the course for all of my life since. Hmm. And so you, you are now a music director. Um, I mean, I know this is all speculation, but what, where do you see yourself going in the next 5 to 10 to 20 years? I mean, is, <laughs> do you want to do the same thing I- on bigger stages, or what, what's, what's the ultimate for you? It's, it's certainly possible. Um, I think I'm, I'm planning, at least in the immediate future, to be in Spokane for a while to, um, to continue in this, this same capacity if they'll have me, which I hope they will, um, and just see th- where things develop be working on my writing on the side and um, and trying to expand this role that I have at Civic into something that will last beyond my tenure and mm. hopefully be a position that other people can take going forward um, and have that kind of be a consistent program. So when you took the position, it wasn't full-time? No, no. Uh, when I was first music directing for Civic, um, it was kind of as I alluded to before, just on a show-by-show basis, and so um, a director might ask me to do it, or the uh, artistic director for the theater might, you know, be looking at the lineup for the season and ask me to do a particular project, or I might ask to do one. Um, Then it was, it was around, it must have been in early 2017 that we were talking about it, that um, uh, I I started pushing to have it become, you know, a, a a full-time gig or you know if, if not a um 
a staff position, then at least something that would be consistent. Um, the big benefits of that, to my mind, um, have a lot to do with how orchestras are hired. Um, we are, for instance, the, the second largest hirer of uh, union musicians in the area, second only to the symphony. Um, so that's always been a, a major part of what the, the music director does. And there's rarely been consistency until my time in, in how that was conducted, um, because each music director would come in and reinvent the wheel, essentially. Mm. Um, there was no, there was no um, mandate of how you were to do things. And so there was, there was always a little bit of confusion with each new show. And, um, and that, that was, you know, we, we always made it work. Um, and we would have continued to make it work, but I think we've been able to achieve uh, a more consistent, high quality um, with this new format. So you're finding more continuity between shows as the resident musical director. Right. I'm, I'm able to hire orchestras for the entire year all at mm. once, mm -hmm. um, often with the same players from show to show, um, so that I know exactly who I'm working with. I, I have the um, the whole year planned out so I don't have last-minute surprises, hopefully, mm. you know. Now, because there's a full-time music director now, uh, do you put more musicals into your seasons now? Or is it about the same? Probably it averages out to about the same. I think uh, over the last several years, we've gone between four and six, maybe, at the outside. I, ca I can't think of it ever being more than that. Um, in in recent memory anyway um i think this coming year um i believe it's i believe it's four uh we have uh, on the main stage matilda uh, a gentleman's guide to love and murder and um and funny girl as the season closer on the main stage and then in the studio we'll have uh cabaret in our smaller venue now so with Cabaret in the smaller venue, you're going to have an orchestra in the Firth Chu Theater? Uh, not an orchestra, no. It, it'll be very pared back. Uh, how, how many people are going to be down there? How many musicians? Uh, I think it'll be five players total. Mm. Okay. We're going with... Um, uh, I may not want to spoil the extra actual instrumentation. <laughs> okay, yet, yeah, we're, don't. But don't. we're going with a kind, <laughs> of a, kind of an unusual arrangement that I, I don't think a lot of people do, and that even if you've seen the show before you might not be fully prepared for. Mm. Um, but it, it's one of the arrangements that, um, that is offered, and I think that we have the, the depth of players in the area to be able to do something a little, a little off the wall. So four kazoos and a jaw harp? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Can't believe you guessed it. I know, I know. They're, it was written on your surprise, face. You know. So um, have all of the shows in the past, have all the musicals been live? Or have you ever had tracks or anything before? And if so, are you providing more sustainable live music shows or musicals with live performance? I think that, that Civic in general has been pretty consistent about having okay. live orchestras. Um, I mean, for every theater organization and for musical theater as a whole, there's always that that specter on the on the horizon of tracks um, uh, which I mean you know have their advantages and disadvantages they're the same absolutely every time you can count on that um, but they also have 
zero flexibility and the possibility of catastrophic failure. <laughs> you yes. know, if the system goes all the way down, uh, then you go from, you know, a, a full studio orchestra um, to nothing in seconds. Um, and it, it also doesn't allow you to hire live musicians. And I think there is something about live music that is very special today. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think that in the future there might be a chance of hiring resident musicians for the Civic? Um, you know, I, I, I can't eliminate it as a possibility. Mm -hmm. it, in, in a sense, it, it already happens in that, okay. I, that I, I hire the same people, often very consistently, um, for the course of the season or f over multiple seasons. Um, but we look at each season um, afresh every time, um, at least so far. Uh, and, th and that may change in, in future, but I just don't know yet. You are listening to KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Uh, let's hear about one of our uh, great other shows on the station. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. I'm living for the weekend. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Woman's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. And we have a very special public service announcement that I would like to read to you. KYRS needs your help right now. Exclamation point. Our transmitter up on the mountaintop needs new power supplies. The transmitter is bigger than your refrigerator and has six power supplies to keep it running. The power supplies are beginning to fail, and if several of them fail, as was the case recently, the transmitter shuts down and we lose our broadcast. Please consider making a special donation to KYRS right now to keep our signal strong. We need to raise $1,500 in one week to buy these power supplies. You can donate quickly and securely online at kyrs.org without a PayPal account. Or text GIVEKYRS to 44321. That's GIVEKYRS to 44321. Also, if you're uh, just tuning in and you want to hear more, if you want to search Art Hour on any place you get your podcast, you would be able to uh, come back and listen to this or any other show that we've done since we began in January. So we'd love to uh, have you listen to our podcast. Uh, and we're back with our guest, Henry McNulty, the musical director at Spokane Civic Theater. Um, and one of the things that popped into my head as we before we went into that last break is so you're able to hire musicians for a year or multiple years um and i think that that seems like a big deal to me that seems like um i mean it seems like a, a vibrant uh, uh 
theater. So my question to you, and this is kind of a loaded question, and you can <laughs> just give me the very uh, political answer if you want, but to what extent would you consider Spokane a theater town? Ooh. Um, well, I, I don't know that it's loaded so much maybe as it is... Um, as it requires a, a nuanced answer. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which is sort of political in its own <laughs> Sure, life. that's fine. Um, I think, you know, in, in any community, there's a certain ebb and flow to how much theater is going on at any time, what theaters open, what theaters close, um, you know, where, where the talent is going. Um, I feel, in perfect honesty, that, that Spokane Civic Theater is at a great place right now. Um, and is is doing very well artistically and and as a whole, um, and you know I, I I'm really proud to be a part of it at this moment. I think it's a it's a great time for the organization and um, therefore for the community um, because really that that's what our whole mission statement is about is you know providing um, you know providing access to the arts and you know. Uh, I think the the actual mission statement uh, gets into you know exploring the human experience and that kind of thing, and, and that's what theater can do for people. Um, as to Spokane itself, um, things have have changed a lot even over the last you know five years or so. Um, we saw uh, Interplayers finally close its doors, um, and that was a long-standing professional venue in the area. Um, it was it was taken over by uh, the modern theater, which expanded from Coeur d'Alene, um, and um, the that experiment of the modern theater didn't last as long as it ought to have. Uh, so unfortunately, we don't have the um, professional theater organization in town that I think um, Spokane needs, uh, and we'll eventually have again. I'm not sure how soon or in what form, but I, it's going to happen. We're, we're a growing town, and I think we need it. Uh, we have the talent pool here, and I think that we can develop the audience for it. Um, but at the same time, even if we don't have that, we have um, Stage Left, we have Ignite Community Theater, we have uh, Spokane Children's Theater, we have, um, in the area various branches of Christian youth theater. We have, we have all sorts of organizations, um, and those are just in the Spokane area. If you expand over to Coeur d'Alene, we also have Lake City Playhouse. Uh, we have Coeur d'Alene Summer Theater, uh, you know, with whom I've worked a number of times. Um, so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of ways to enjoy theater in the area, and in that sense, it's absolutely a theater town. I think we can eventually aspire to even more. Uh, aspire actually being the name of another <laughs> community theater in Coeur d'Alene. Uh, so that was lucky to remember that. Um, um, but where we are is in uh, a good place, and I think we just have room to grow. And I also think the fact that you are expanding your season into the summer would also be great, not only for the theater community, but also for... Um, income for the Civic because Summer Stock Theater is a huge part of theater in job sources and uh, also audience because, well, I mean, you can explain what Summer Stock is basically, but it's mm -hmm. a very profitable time of year for theater programs, especially in smaller 
non-urban towns. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a resort community like Coeur d'Alene. Yes. That's yes, probably why exactly. they do Coeur d'Alene. So, so would you consider what you're doing right now sort of a summer stock or, experiment? Or the or? beginnings of summer stock. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's hard to say in coming years if it will expand that direction or not. Uh, this This summer season is sort of an experiment for us in that it's you know, it's been 19 years since the last time we've tried the summer, and um, we're hoping that it can be something that continues into the future. But part of that is uh, community support and whether we, we get the audiences that we need um, to be able to continue programming that time of year. So Spring Awakening is important to us in a number of different ways. It's important artistically it's important for growing a, maybe a new segment of the audience and it's important as an experiment for us in uh, whether we can whether we can fill seats in the summer and I, I'm very hopeful that it can happen um, whether it ever becomes summer stock which um, can, can mean an, uh, probably a number of things depending on on what company you're working with but that I take to mean uh, being very shortened rehearsal schedules that lead to, um, you know, a group of shows in the summer that are, you know, that are maybe in repertory form where, um, you know, you'll go one show to the next, back to the other one to the next, um, night to night, so that if you're in town for three days, you might catch all three shows that are running, that sort of thing. Or it might be overlapping, uh, productions, doing a, a few over the course of the summer, um, for us, for, for Spring Awakening, there is a way in which it is like uh, summer stock in that we only had a very short period of time to put this up, um, which I, I'd say was pretty much equivalent to the two to three weeks that you might get in summer stock um, with the uh, additional fact being that we we only have the evenings to rehearse, the evenings and weekends, because all of our performers in any show that we do are all volunteer. So they're all just members of the community who, who do this for the love of performing, for the love of live theater, um, which, which means um, that, uh, th- that they aren't being uh, compensated as, as workers, um, but they are you know, volunteers for the organization. And that means that, um, that we... Uh, we can't expect them to come in instead of their day jobs, for instance. We have to we have to work around uh, our talent pool. Um, so for uh, Spring Awakening, with a very shortened rehearsal schedule, that means that you're looking at maybe three hours a night most times um, with a cast. Uh, so that's an additional challenge that, in most summer stock situations, you would you would have professionals there all day because that's the only thing they're doing at that moment. We have to kind of work around it differently. As you were talking about that, I was thinking, so since they're all volunteer, uh, there might be somebody listening who says, I'd like to give that a shot, right? Mm -hmm. To what extent when you run auditions, do you have sort of a similar stable of people auditioning multiple times? And to what extent do you have um, a lot of people who this might be their first run, people trying, um, maybe it's not something that they've ever thought they wanted to do, but they they get the bug and they give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And, And in that sense, do you cast a lot of first-time people in their roles I- at the Civic Theater? You know, it's it's a very diverse group, really, at every set of auditions. Um, often you will see 
uh, returning faces, sometimes people who've been, you know, working with the theater since before I was born. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of people around like that um, who, you know, really are kind of the the pillars on which Spokane Civic Theater is is built in a lot of ways. Uh, at the same time, um, you you always have a new set of people coming through, trying theater for the first time, or or coming from different areas. Uh, a lot of people retire to Spokane, or or mm -hmm. come here for you know our access to the great outdoors and things like that. Who've done theater elsewhere, who also want to pursue it in Spokane. So it it can be a mix that we cast of completely new faces or people that local audiences would have seen time and time again. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the new faces can help to to keep it fresh, to keep it from from being uh, ever just the same thing over and over, uh, while still having uh, reliable performers that that audiences love to see and that you know we love to work with and love to cast again and again because you know they just do such great work. <laughs> so going back a bit. Um, this question kind of serves two purposes. One, I want to know the answer, but two, I also <laughs> kind of want to um, advertise a bit of really cool opportunity that has recently come about in the Civic Theater. Um, when we're talking about the city wanting to see the Civic shows and supporting Civic shows, um, the student tickets that you have on Saturdays for $10, mm -hmm. do you think that that will bring in a new generation of theater goers or allow more access? And what are your thoughts on that new program? Well, we, we certainly hope so. Um, we know that, that tickets to live theater can, you know, be a financial obstacle to people, uh, especially in, in an age of, of streaming and instant on-demand, mm -hmm. uh, instant gratification, <laughs> where you don't even have to leave your couch to see some form of entertainment. Um, we, we have to... Uh, we have to charge a, a certain amount just because of the cost of putting on a production. And really, when you, when you buy a theater ticket, what you're paying for is the rights to the show so that we you know, can get the rights from the publisher to do it. You're, you're paying for the costumes to be built, for the sets to be built, for you know, the creative staff to be paid for their time, and for the organization to run as a whole. Um, so ticket prices in, in many ways are, you know, you're donation to this community nonprofit organization. Um, but we also know that that can be difficult for people, um, you know, for, for students, for people with large families who want to bring their kids. Um, so I, I think that that program and others that we do from time to time is in recognition of that and hoping that we can build our audience out to people who may not normally be able to afford it or who might not have thought about it as a serious possibility until now. With that in mind, it seems like musical theater, I mean, it was not a big thing when I was young, and I'm almost 50. So, um, And I've noticed, though, that in the younger generation, have you noticed that it seems to be musical theater is getting much more popular? And, and I have a theory, and you can, you can <laughs> cut it down oh or you can corroborate. No, My I dad's theory. I think it's Disney. <laughs> I think Disney had a lot to do with it. I think it 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 uh, acclimatized people to uh, musicals, um, and then obviously you have the big breakthrough shows like Hamilton and things like that. But yes, it does seem that's like actually that's actually what I was going to say. Yes, Disney. I think in our formative years definitely showed us that musicals are a great and engaging way of storytelling. But I was going to say 
within the past decade at least that question has a one word answer and that's Hamilton I think Hamilton has opened up the minds of people of all ages that are enamored with storytelling and has given an extremely effective and rather new form of storytelling in a very non-traditional narrative. Okay, now we have your theory. <laughs> do you have a theory, Henry? <laughs> um, or do, do well, you see that at all? Do you see that there is a resurgence in interest? I think that there definitely is. I, I think... Um, there, there's kind of a, a wave to ride over the decades of how popular musicals are at, at any given time. I mean, uh, early 20th century, they were the source of most popular song and mm -hmm. were, were popular for that. Um, then you, you hit like mid-century and uh, so many of the, the big Hollywood movies were also musicals, um, some, many of which were only a movie and not a stage play at all. Um, then I think that did decline for quite a while and came back strong with, as you mentioned, Disney for that, that golden age with, um, with uh, Alan Menken, Howard Ashman, those writers who, who kind of brought that back to the fore. Uh, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, things like that. Um, so that, that did have a, have a huge impact on, you know, on audiences once again accepting that a character can break out into song at any moment, <laughs> which uh, you know everyone has to get used to. Right. Um, yes, it requires a certain suspension of disbelief. Exactly. Um, unless you're around theater people all the time, and then <laughs> and then they break just, it. And then it's just, it just part of your day. <laughs> right. Uh, and I am around them all the time. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, a, it's a life full of song. Uh, mm -hmm. at, at uh, good moments and inopportune moments. <laughs> yes, but I can definitely, <laughs> I can definitely reinforce that. I think, though, that uh, in recent years, um, along with Hamilton, which has received remarkable cultural penetration just throughout this country, that mm -hmm. we we all know about it. It was, it's been talked about all the time on the news. Um, you see snippets from it all the time. It's still selling out. <laughs> Uh, getting Hamilton tickets is, you know, a, an easy laugh line for comedians now yes. because it's so difficult still. Mm. Um, well, and you just kind of see it in the culture now. I mean, there are presidents and celebrities that post about seeing it. People that haven't gone to a play in a decade know Hamilton and can recognize that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's that Hamilton, even if they haven't seen it or heard it. It's just... Everybody knows about it, which hasn't been the case for theater or for musical theater in a long time, which is very interesting. Well, and I guess the question that it was leading me to is, are you noticing then a more youthful audience in your plays in the last few years? Because, I mean, the reason I ask is when you go to, say, a Spokane Symphony concert, um, the audience tends to be of an older generation. And then you look at that and you think, wow, they're going to have to replenish their audience if they're going to keep this art form alive. Um, mm -hmm. And I just wonder if you've seen a younger audience coming into civic shows. I think we have. I remember that when I was, um, when I was a teenager in particular, uh, there was this idea that, um, that the audiences were all older and would only want to see the uh, the classic musicals, you know, the the Rodgers and Hammerstein, the um, you know that that mid-century golden era material. Um, and I think that that is becoming less and less true as the years go on. Um, and I I believe that we've attracted new demographics. Um, you certainly see a, a different 
array of people when you when you go out and, and look at who our audiences are. Um, I think it's it's not so much specifically younger that there's a you know a specific demographic that we've gained more just that it's more broad now than mm. it used to mm-hmm. be um which is i think one reason why we now try to offer a, a wider array of material than we than we might have done 10 years ago and more material and more material right yeah hmm. you're listening to kyrs medical lake spokane 88.1 and 92.3 fm uh here's a way you can help support kyrs the problem is all inside your head she said to me is easy if you take it logically I'd like to help you in your struggle to be free there must be 50 ways to leave your lover I loved my car we had some great times together I gave it a pet name had my picture taken with it and paid fortunes to keep it going but no matter how hard I try it's just not working for me anymore so I'm not going to just let it sit there until it's totally wasted and meaningless. I'm sending it to KYRS, where it's really needed and can do some good. They'll turn it into great radio, which I love. Plus, give me a membership and tax deduction. It can all end so easily. All I do is call 855-KYRS-CAR. That's 855-KYRS-CAR. Praxis, putting a theory into practical use. Every week, hear stories from our city, region, and world about people putting ideas into motion. Join your host, Taylor, that's me, in interviews with activists, artists, academics, and anyone shaking up systems with radical action. Tune in live Mondays at 4 p.m. right here on KYRS Thin Air Community Radio. We have another special public service announcement. Actually, I wouldn't even say another. It's the same one. KYRS needs your help right now. Our transmitter up on the mountaintop needs new power supplies. The transmitter is bigger than your refrigerator and has six power supplies to keep it running. The power supplies are beginning to fail, and if several of them fail, as was the case recently, the transmitter shuts down and we lose our broadcast. Please consider making a special donation to KYRS right now to keep our signal strong. We need to raise $1,500 in one week to buy these power supplies. You can donate quickly and securely online at kyrs.org with a PayPal account. It does say without a PayPal account, but that doesn't make any sense. That's how I read it the first time. So I'm going to reread that. You can donate quickly and securely online at kyrs.org with a PayPal account. I'm assuming that's what it is. Or text give kyrs to 44321. That's give kyrs to 44321. Thanks for your help. And again, if you're tuning in late, if you're on your ride home and you want to hear uh, more of this show, you can go to Art Hour. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever the heck you get your podcasts. Uh, You can listen to this show. We'll have it up probably later on tonight or tomorrow. Uh, And we have all of our other shows on there as well. 
And we have about, I'd say, about 12 more minutes with our guest, Henry McNulty. He was so kind to join us today. He is the musical director at Spokane Civic Theater, and he is here talking about uh, Spring Awakening. And we actually haven't talked about the dates yet. Uh, when, how, so you're going this weekend, Thursday, or thir- Thursday, Friday, Saturday? It's only Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday matinee. And that's this weekend and next, or just this weekend? This weekend and next. Oh, okay. All right. And what would be the best way for them to get tickets? Are they? Uh, res- they're not reserved seats. They're they're general admission, right? Uh, I, I believe they're they're reserved seats. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, the the best way I would say would be to call the the box office, and it's it's very easy to to look up that number, um, or to uh, to go to. SpokaneCivicTheater.com. That's theater with an R E, all fancy. <laughs> um, and there'll be a, a link there to, to get tickets and to uh, preview our entire season if you like as well. And if you are a student on Saturdays, you can go to the box office. And if there are avail- available tickets, you can present your student ID and get $10 tickets. But that's only on Saturdays. But it is a great uh, program which I encourage you to utilize, especially as a theater student. Yes. And so we've talked a little bit about Spring Awakening, but what I, I honestly, I'm a theater <laughs> noob. So w- can you just give me a general idea of what the play is about? Okay. Well, it's, it's based on a play from the, the late 19th century um, from Germany. Um, and it deals with, um, with the, the sexual awakening of a, of a group of young people. Um, as you know, they, they learn about themselves and deal with the fact that there really isn't much education. They aren't told very much about what is happening. And so they're, they're trying to go through their lives but operating in ignorance. Um, and the effect that that has on them and the, the things that happen as a result. Uh, the musical itself is from, uh, I believe, it's 2005 or 2006. So... It is a blend of um, kind of the, the punk rock of that era, um, along with uh, more, I, I hesitate to say traditional, but um, maybe more um, concert music leaning elements, um, it, which includes a, a string section. Uh, I've been saying uh, string quartet kind of as shorthand, but the, the bassist lives in both worlds. He's, the, he's the, the pivot between the rock band that we have down there mm. and the string quartet format. So it's, um, it's a very interesting blend of, of styles and uh, a lot of challenging subject matter. I think that the most um, interesting and impactful thing about the play is how relevant the story remains, even with it being still set in the late 19th century. Uh, so many of the, the issues that are dealt with are still very important to us today, and some of the issues are still unresolved in a lot of ways. Um, so it, it holds up a, a mirror to even modern society. Um, and I, I think... Um, a, a lot of shows uh, claim that you know you'll you'll be changed forever by seeing this, and I think a, as musicals go, this is this is one where that that may be true. It <laughs> really, it really will will challenge your your preconceptions and um, maybe possibly even your worldview. Wow, that's saying a lot. Now, are are it you is, in this play is. as well? 
I'm not in this one. Okay, because you were in the previous play and you were the music director for Young Frankenstein, right? Correct. Uh, How do you, and it's, I mean, you have a big performance part of your life that we haven't even talked about yet. (laughs) That is true. How how do you decide whether you're going to be in it or not? I I mean, what's, so you're in some, you're not in some, what, how do you make the decision? Right. Well, at Civic, I I hadn't been in a show for probably about five years or so. Um, So it's pretty rare that I perform there. Um, most of my performing in, in recent years has been with um, Coeur d'Alene Summer Theater, where um, I, I can't remember the exact number of productions, but I, I had performed with them for the, the past five years, not counting this one, um, because this season I'm, I'm occupied at Civic, mm-hmm. so it really wasn't an option. Um, so Young Frankenstein came about sort of by accident. The, the possibility of my playing that main character um, had come up in conversation a few times and um, you know had been floated by a couple people and I, I think my response was always oh yeah yeah I, I don't know how that would work but um, and then then we got to auditions and we had to look at the balance of people that we had and what we what we needed to um, to put that cast together and it became uh, more and more realistic looking for me to also take on that. Um, and I, I think it worked out very well in the end for everyone. It was, it was definitely uh, an unusual process uh, <laughs> to you know, take my main job um, for uh, much of the process as music director and have to set that aside and put on that, that different hat as just a performer. And um, I'm greatly... Uh, indebted to um, Ashley Pyle, a, a local musician who uh, was originally just supposed to be um, kind of shadowing me and playing some rehearsals. And um, as days and weeks went on, it turned from a play a few rehearsals to uh, can you accompany the whole thing <laughs> to uh, can, can you now conduct an orchestra wow. okay. um, for the first time? And so really we, we, you know, threw her into the deep end immediately and, um, and it was, it was challenging and, um, I, I'm, I'm very proud of what, what she accomplished and, um, what we were able to accomplish as a team with the entire team kind of rotating jobs around as, as we explored this new paradigm of having the, the music director not in the pit. Yeah. So did you delegate a lot of the work to her or did you kind of co-direct for that show? Well, I, I, because we were figuring out a lot of the, um, of the arrangement of jobs as we went along, um, I ended up doing you know, most of the teaching, making most of the, the early decisions. Um, it was only um, getting pretty close to performances where uh, we realized that we really didn't have a strong plan in place <laughs> for how, how the orchestra was going to be led. I mean, we, we, had, we had certain ideas and people who might be able to do it, um, but it turned out that the, the best option was, you know, the person who'd been sitting at the keys all along, uh, mm. which, you know, maybe we should have thought of earlier, but, <laughs> but hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, so... Um, yeah, we, we really didn't, didn't know going in and couldn't have predicted. So having done it once, 
is that something you would consider <laughs> doing again, or was it so so daunting that you just say that? That was probably something that I. That's a one and done. <laughs> I've been getting that question a lot. Oh, uh, okay. Especially and how have you been answering it? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I think at this point, I, I simply don't know. It would in, entirely depend on uh, on the show in question, and. Um, you know, and it and at Civic Theater, I, I think, except in the most extraordinary of circumstances, uh, we we never precast shows, so we never um, we never say, you know, behind closed doors, oh, we're, we're planning to have this person play that role, and so you know, we'll audition people for it, but it will never, right. you know, they never really had a shot, that kind of thing. That that just doesn't happen, and we um, we're very careful to keep that from happening because. Um, the theater community is very sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, there's even um, the merest suggestion that that sort of thing might have happened, uh, you know, we we start to alienate our talent pool. So mm -hmm. and that is that mindset's especially important for community theater where anybody can show up with right. all qualifications in the world or none, no experience at all. Right, and everyone should be on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. There, there is a difference between that and professional theater, where, uh, you know, often it is just connections who mm -hmm. you know. The the convenience of getting you to uh, to join a production, uh, you know, whether people have worked with you before, um, because you know maybe maybe you don't even have time to audition, but you <laughs> might get into something anyway because you have a certain professional reputation, and that's just not something that we can afford to do on mm -hmm. the community level. Uh, I think for, you know, practical and for just philosophical reasons of that being just not what we're about as an organization. So you mentioned the summer play is, is an experiment. Yes. Is there another experiment that you would like to try in the next year or two? Is there something that you oh say, <laughs> now that I've found my feet, now that I've, uh, you know, I'm a musical director for a couple of years, here's some, I mean, whether it's a show, whether it's a, a just a, a trying something different, is there s something that you would like to try? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we're always talking very early about what the next season will look like, about, you know, what, uh, what future plans may be. I think probably for my, you know, my, the next stages in my development, I don't know how soon they would happen, but um, would be to get some of my own work out there. If not mm -hmm. on, the, on the civic stage, then at, at some venue. Um, in theatrical composition? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, some of my own writing. Uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll branch out and direct something, too. Mm. I mean, uh, I already practically live at the theater, so it's <laughs> a, you know, it'd be a pretty easy transition to just do other parts of the job as well. And maybe I'll also perform with Civic. It's it's hard to say. It'll all depend on the, the show and the directors and what the schedule looks like. But I'm very open. Right on. Well, it's been great talking to you, Henry. Thanks Likewise. for thanks for coming yeah. in. Uh, I just want want to give you one last uh, chance to plug Spring Awakening and talk about uh, when and uh, when the shows are. Certainly, Spring Awakening is is playing for these next two weekends. Uh, our next show is this Friday night, then Saturday night, Sunday matinee. Then we follow the same format the next weekend. Evening shows on Friday and Saturday, and then closing that Sunday matinee, a week from this Sunday. Um, and uh, tickets are available by calling our box office or by visiting SpokaneCivicTheater.com. Uh, and that will have a, a link 
to tickets as, as well as a list of all of our shows for the next season if you want to check that out. And you young people, as Claire mentioned earlier, mm. you can uh, stand in line on Saturday and get some cheap tickets so mm-hmm. you can exactly. go see a play too. And Claire, thank you for joining me today. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope we get, to, we get to do it again. Yeah, it's been uh, really fun. This has been Art Hour on KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Northern.